Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer and my guest today is Chris Beckett. Uh, Chris is in Bristol in the UK. In case you haven't watched one of these, Buddha at the Gas Pump is an ongoing series of interviews with spiritually awake or awakening people. There have been about 290 of them done so far, so if you'd like to check out the previous ones, go to batgap.com. They're archived and categorized in various ways. And there's also a donate button there, which we appreciate people clicking to help support the whole project. Chris got in touch a while back, and he sounded interesting, and I forwarded it over to Irene, my wife, who does the scheduling and choosing of guests, and she was fascinated because, here's his words, said, my good friend Mike reminded me recently that a couple of years ago my comment on spirituality was F, enlightenment. You know, for whatever reason, I just didn't care. And um, so Irene was kind of fascinated with the fact that somebody who really didn't give a hoot would undergo some rather profound awakenings. And that does happen sometimes. But usually it's people who are really keen on it. So we scheduled Chris, and um, we're going to have a conversation. Chris is a professional musician. We'll be talking about that and about spirituality and music a little bit later in the interview. So Chris, you've uh, sent me your bio here, and it's quite long, and I won't just read the whole thing, but we'll kind of go through it because people like to hear people's story. You said that until this year, your only interest in spirituality was in making you happier. You weren't looking to be changed, only to make your experience better. But that, to me, sounds like change. I mean, if you if you become happier or if your experience becomes better, that's a kind of a change, isn't it? I think what I really meant was I wasn't interested in finding out about anything to do with truth or anything like that. Uh -huh. that what I was saying. So you weren't seeking some ultimate reality or wisdom or no. something? You just wanted to feel better and be happier. Yeah. I guess you mentioned that uh, your pursuits had been along kind of in the self-improvement realm for, yeah. some, for some time. So what kind of stuff did you do in that area? So it's probably from the age of like early 20s to late 20s. Mm -hmm. I was kind of got into things like Creative visualization was a big thing I got into, kind of using internal worlds to kind of sort of make myself feel better. What else did I kind of do? How old are you now? 39. So I was doing that and I was, I just kind of just wasn't interested in finding out anything more than what I already knew, basically. I just yeah. wanted to live better in, in the world, which I knew, basically. Yeah. But then that did all change about five years ago. What happened? Well, I broke it with my um, partner, my girlfriend at the time, and that kind of created a sort of shift where before that point I felt that I was kind of chasing life and I was manipulating life. And then I suddenly felt the energy change very dramatically and I suddenly felt that life was chasing after me. <laughs> it, was very, it was very palpable. In fact, I can even remember the moment when it happened. I was going for a walk and I used to get so much um, support and grounding from nature and suddenly the energy changed and I felt that if I went into nature somehow I'd be transformed in a deeper way so I just it just became like fire or something I had this sort of fieriness to it which I just, just avoided nature in some way so you were kind of afraid of being transformed in a deeper way you're saying Avo yeah avoiding it yeah, I was completely avoiding it because I knew I was being chased and I knew if I let go into it even slightly, then basically this kind of point of energy would just break me open. 
And that's exactly what happened. And it did happen. It kind of started, the, the, the reaction started a few times before. What was it like? I mean, you, I kind of get the image of a, a volcano about to erupt or something, and there's some smoke yeah. and there's some bulging of the mountainside and whatnot. It's like and, a nu nuclear reaction. Yeah. And, it's and got it's, a catalytic feel to it. And what happened the previous few times, like it almost happened a year before it happened for real. It was like a catalytic reaction, but somehow the energy got changed at the last moment <laughs> and I got pushed into something else. So you're trying to keep a lid on it, in other words, because you were afraid of it, what might happen if you just let it happen. I wouldn't say so consciously as that. I wouldn't say I was consciously sort of keeping a lid on it. I mean, I'd be, I'd, I wouldn't say that I was unaccepting of life before this kind of awakening and the shift happened. It's just that it just didn't happen. It just, it just didn't happen. The mm -hmm. energy just changed. Although I did try and get out of it, I guess. Mm -hmm. I kind of felt I wanted to be out of this situation which is happening, this energy which is building up. <laughs> so aside from avoiding nature, which you, know, you felt was conducive to this energy building up, were you doing yeah. anything else to suppress it? I mean, you were like drinking or something and to try to keep it? No, you know. no, I gave up drinking and all that kind of stuff in my mid 20s. Mid to late 20s. By the time this kind of new energy was coming in the last, I guess that's from the age of oh, 32 to 37 or whatever. Mm -hmm. There's a kind of new energy. I did feel very good about life as well. It wasn't like I was, it's really hard to, it's very paradoxical. I was getting more open at the same time. So I was getting more open, but at the same time, there was this sort of feeling that there was this energy which I knew that kind of if I went into it, it would just kind of break me open. Mm. And uh, all right, so that seemed to, seems to have gone on for a while, but then you finally went into it or allowed it to take you over, right? There was no allowing, it just happened. Just happened. It was, yeah, yeah. There was absolutely no choice in it. It was just completely like life was... Because I never would have gone there myself and just life basically kind of got to the point where it sort of said, there's no more time, sorry. <laughs> you're just, you're just ready. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so what was it, was it like, what was the experience? Well, it started, it started a week before. So it started from a, just a energy entering my body, basically a certain point. And for the first few days, I kind of felt that things were going to be manageable, it's going to be okay. I just felt a bit kind of disconcerted. But by sort of, it happened on a Sunday, by Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, there was just this feeling that this nuclear catalytic kind of thing had just got to a certain point where it, it was going to do its thing. It, was, it wasn't going to stop. Okay. Um, can you be more explicit, aside from nuclear and catalytic, I mean, what, what was the actual subjective, visceral experience you were going through? It and was just a feeling of my life falling apart completely. Was that evident to external observers? I mean, were you losing your job and, you know, stuff was no, you know, it wasn't, becoming it wasn't dysfunctional physical. or it was more of a subjective thing? It all happened so quickly. It all happened in a few days. Literally in a few days, I went from my life's really okay to... I, I can't live anymore with, with the way I'm living, basically. Hmm. It was only, yeah, three days, four days. Well, how had you been living and what was it about the way you had been living that was no longer livable? I really can't say. Just everything just, 
I, I mean, just you're doing music and this, this yeah, stuff, probably yeah. a lot of the stuff you're doing now. So what, what actually changed? It was just everything just unwound, just my whole sort of sense of who I was completely mm -hmm. just started to unravel, basically. Yeah. And all, the only thing I knew for sure was I was dying. That's all I, that's what I said to my friends, I just, the friends I met up with. I just said, I'm dying. And that was the only thing. I didn't know if this was going to happen or anything. I just knew I was going to die in some way. And they and probably said, what my, are you talking about? You're dying. You have cancer or something? What do you mean you're dying? The people I talked to kind of were quite spiritual. So uh, I think they, they had an insight into what was going on. They realized it was Whereas I, I, I didn't. Okay, so there was this cathartic moment kind of bubbling up for you. And you felt, yeah. it, you felt it coming. You, you must have... I kind of knew it was going to happen unconsciously because I said to my friend Mike, who was the guy, I asked him to borrow the End of Your World book by Ajishanti, mm -hmm. which I... Which I have read on the shelf back here. Yeah, which I had read a bit of a year before mm -hmm. and thought was complete rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> but he said to me, I was very insistent, he came round for dinner on Friday night and he said, you need to bring this book with you. It was all very... I don't know, there was just no sort of conscious choice at that point. It was just completely like life was just completely pressing down on my entire life. Just didn't have no sense of any kind of personal will at that point. And you weren't doing any spiritual practices or anything, this was just happening. No, I was avoiding them. <laughs> I was avoiding <laughs> meditating as well. Absolutely. Right. But you had meditated in the past. A little bit, yeah. Not much. Here and there. I think to the spiritual insider, so to speak, someone who's been doing spiritual practices and reading spiritual books, they have a sense of what you're talking about, you know, because the books talk about this kind of thing and they may have had experiences like this. But like you said a minute ago about the Ajashanti book, you thought it was complete BS or something because it didn't relate to your experience. So there could be people listening who might have the same reaction to what we've been saying so far because you've been kind of vague and you know, there's this thing that life was trying to take you over and your whole life was yeah. going to fall apart and you thought you were going to die. Try to like put yourself in the shoes of the kind of person you had been when you were first exposed to the Adyashanti book and thought it was BS yeah. and try to help that person understand what was really happening in a way that they might be able to relate to. What do you mean from the point of view now what I know? Right, yeah, so. try to make it clear what you're talking about, because this can sound like a lot of gobbledygook, or it's, it can sound very unclear to someone who hasn't had that experience. Yeah. It can sound like nonsense to somebody. Try to give a sense of what it was you were, you were actually going through and what your actual okay. experience was day to day and moment to moment. So my experience was, I did feel that I was going in some kind of process, but I didn't have a sense that when this process would happen. Mm -hmm and how it would kind of culminate. So I didn't consciously think, oh, I'm having a spiritual awakening or anything like that. There was no conscious recognition of that. There was just this recognition that I was in this somehow deep process, which is going to transform me in some way. And that was tied in with this sense that I was dying in some way, but I didn't have a sense of how I was dying. Paradoxically, I must have unconsciously or some, some very deep level realized what was happening because I borrowed this book from Mike and I was quite insistent on, on borrowing that book, basically. So it reminds you of the old Dylan line, something's going on here, but you don't know what it is. Yeah, it yeah. is exactly that. Yeah. yeah. Something was happening, but I didn't quite piece it together in my mind. 
So it sounded like it happened over the course of a week or so, though, and by the end of that week, you did have a sense of what had been happening, and you kind of yeah, yeah. landed on the other side of it. So what was that like? Basically, on Sunday night, I was reading the book, and I'd read quite a lot of it already. I was probably halfway through, and I just read this line, and it said something like, I can't remember what the line said, but it said something like, you're not your thoughts, and then something, something physically changed within me. It's like a kind of... A connection in my brain which kind of links something together which wasn't there and there was just so much energy going through my body and I just realized that my thoughts weren't true but it wasn't a kind of oh my thoughts weren't true it was kind of like saying it as this process was happening this just energetic change which just started happening so do you feel like prior to that you had always assumed that you were your thoughts or you had identified yeah. with, with your thoughts and, yeah. and then somehow that identification was broken. Just, yeah, I'd never for a second, for some reason, I'd never actually thought, what am I? Who am I? Who's this person? It just never, ever occurred to me. Yeah. And that was the first time which I kind of looked. I didn't even look. It was, it all happened in one moment. Just, just that sudden connection was, I just knew it wasn't true. Mm. And then the next question because I just kept saying to myself, because there was so much energy going on and so much chaos in a way. It was very chaotic. It wasn't kind of a, it wasn't a calm sort of thing. And then after a while of sort of jumping on my bed going, oh my God, <laughs> I'm not my thoughts. <laughs> I then sort of started to ask the question, well, what am, I, what am I? And then over the next sort of few days, I started to realize that somehow I was everything. And I started to look at, pictures on the wall and I started to realize that picture and the looking at the picture and me were all the same thing, all the same movement. It's interesting because some people go through years of, you know, trying to do Ramana Maharshi's self-inquiry and, you know, who am I and what am I and I'm not my thoughts and, and all yeah. this stuff and, uh, you know, can still feel kind of frustrated with that even after years of doing it and here you just kind of, it just happened to you. I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm aware of that, that I have a friend, you know, have friends like that who've been long-term Buddhists, you know, and they've spent their whole life sort of trying to find out who they are, you know, look, look behind. Yeah, I, it, it was just ready to happen. There's, I've always been quite an honest person. I've always been honest about how I've been living in some kind of way. I did have a sense beforehand that I knew I was kind of kidding myself, and I'd had very sort of conscious moments of sort of diving back into that you know I remember having memories of okay I'm going to dive back into this sort of pretend world where I'm pretending to be a person and everything were you able to yeah yeah but yeah. Perhaps... this was a long time ago this was in my early 20s oh early 20s yeah so even in your 20s before this thing happened there was already kind of a sense of I am not just this person that everybody sees and that I, you know, most people think they are. Not consciously, no. It wasn't a conscious thing. But it was something, some subliminal thing that was growing. Some, something subliminal. I kind of knew that. Yeah. I never thought that the world was concrete ever. And uh -huh. I always thought the world was endless in some kind of way. And I never really understood how people thought that the world was a thing. <laughs> it just didn't make sense. But yeah. at the same time, I had no kind of questioning. There wasn't the energy of questioning around that. Yeah, you just took it for granted. You weren't thinking about it much. I just took it for granted, yeah. So how long ago was this 
eventful week. Two and a bit years ago. And so how has your life changed since then? <laughs> Quite a lot, really. <laughs> uh -huh. In what ways? Well, the first thing that really had to happen is I became completely honest with myself. Hmm. And the Adyashanti books really helped with that, and the Adyashanti videos and his general teaching. So I had to really sort of become really sort of deeply honest with myself and really open as well. And so um, allow life to be kind of as it is and allow life to be messy as well. That was the big thing I learned from the Adyashanti teaching. So could you give us an example of how you might have not been honest prior to this and how you were different? It was kind of just, I just lost the ability to bullshit myself before I could kind of kid myself, but that just evaporated. And I had this real sense that if I wasn't honest with myself, what happened to me was so powerful. There was so much energy and there was so much physical change going on that it would rip me apart. If I, if I resisted, I had this real sense that I'd either go crazy or my body would just not be able to take it. Interesting. What kind of physical change were you experiencing? Well, I had a massive Kundalini kind of awakening a few weeks after that. Well, let's hear about <laughs> that. <laughs> the whole day was strange. I kind of stopped thinking for two hours. I went for a massive walk. And then I came back and I lay on my bed and I just knew I had to focus on this energy in my body. And then my body went into a massive spasm. It was a huge spasm going all the way up my spine and my spine was doing this. My head was moving. There was nobody there, but it would have been very, very frightening to look they at because my head was spinning. you off to the ER. Well, I think if somebody would have touched me, they would have been like flown across the room kind of thing hmm. because my head wasn't moving like this. It was moving at like a hundred times a second. Wow. It really, I mean, I thought I was going to die. I wasn't sure where I was going to die. I mean, it was terrifying, but my, my body relaxed. But within that relaxation, I was like absolutely terrified. You probably had a sense of what was going on though, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of did. I mean, I, I guess I hadn't read about, I read about the energetic stuff and the right. stuff, but yeah, I kind of knew what was happening mm -hmm. on, some, on some body level. So how long but did that last, very, that episode? Ten minutes or something. Mm -hmm. How'd you feel afterwards? Different. I, I didn't feel particularly different, but I felt it would kind of lead to kind of a big change within my body or something like that. I kind of sensed that it, was, it opened a doorway, mm -hmm. which is kind of what's happened. Um, and then I had loads of crazy stuff with breathing and I was stopping breathing and I, and I there was lots of really crazy stuff going on with that. And, sure. Fast and then, breathing also maybe and stopping and fast and different. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And then the world went black as well for a few minutes. You mean your eyes were open, but you couldn't see anything? Yeah. Yeah. My, my eyes were closed and they went black and then I opened my eyes and there was nothing. As you're probably aware by now, a lot of this stuff is in the literature, you know, people have been, ha people have had experiences like this for yeah. eons. And um, so something good was happening. But, you know, when this kind of thing happens to, the, to a person who has no inkling of what it is, it can be mm. pretty scary. 
That's yeah, that day I was ready. I've had enough. I was yeah. ready to, I, I would have happily died huh. on that. The interview I did two weeks ago was with a woman who specializes in Kundalini stuff. Yeah, so people who are interested in that might want to watch that. So keep telling us the story. I mean, this this was a big thing. And yeah. Before those few weeks, the few weeks before that, it had been very chaotic. I'd been threw myself back into my teaching. I mean, it was there was just so much energy and so much. It was it was really hard going, mm -hmm. really, really hard going. It felt like I was in the middle of a hurricane. Do you feel like you're kind of more acclimated or integrated? Yeah, now? I mean, a lot's happened since then. That was the first few months. That was the first three months were the most chaotic, and then it, it's definitely changed. Yeah. I, I, now it tends to be kind of periods of sort of acclimation, and then I have sort of... Another surge. New energy opening out, and then... So yeah, the, 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 the Kundalini thing was the next big highlight. <laughs> Over those few weeks and months, there was more of a conscious kind of unity sense, that, that sense of unity grew. Mm -hmm. And so the sense of no separation. I never got this kind of you are consciousness thing that just didn't sort of happen. I don't know. I mean, maybe I just don't understand what people mean by it because for me, the whole... He just kind of went from being me to to somehow being everything. So I've never got the kind of the consciousness thing because it, it was so obvious to me that my body was part of this whole thing and my body and there was more to change and more to transform. It was it was just so obvious. I just felt it within myself. I just knew it was I just knew there was more. It was it was kind of self evident somehow. Well, I think the you are consciousness thing is—you probably have have that experience, and but you're kind of not seeing it or understanding it the same yeah. way that people describe it. I know of cases where people had had been very deeply versed in spiritual literature and teachings, and then had an awakening which totally freaked them out because their preconceptions about what it would be based on reading that literature differed so much from what it actually turned out to be that they didn't put two and yeah. two together and realize that oh this was what I have been you know, yeah. looking for they thought there was something wrong with them or something um, but when you say that you know you look at the refrigerator or you look at the picture on the wall or something and, and there's a oneness with it yeah. um, what you know what is that oneness it's not that the refrigerator is part is is flesh like your body is flesh on what level is that oneness ah. what's the common denominator that would cause you to say that I, <laughs> there's a sense of oneness with the picture or with the with the refrigerator i guess it's just the words more than anything i just I never identified with that word consciousness like yeah love or unity those words which kind of do it for me. Unity is the one which, because it, it includes everything somehow. Yeah. It's like the kind of you're not your body thing. I never, to me, it, it was, I'm part of this whole thing. Sure. And my, my transformation as well is part of the whole thing. And my living my life is part of the whole thing. So what I hear you saying is that there's a kind of a, a sense of wholeness that seems to unite the parts it seems to contain the the parts so the parts don't seem to be utterly dissimilar or, or from one another they're they're somehow 
essentially united or the same, even yeah, though even though, like, even though superficially they may may appear to be different. It all feel it kind of it, it's moved more and more towards just feeling like everything's an expression of the same things. So right. I'm an expression of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. The microphone's the expression of the whole thing. My friend's the expression of the whole thing. This meeting with this person that's difficult is an expression of the whole thing. This difficult thing, this difficult energy, this nice energy, it all seems to be expressions. an expression. Yeah. Yeah, kind of like waves on the ocean or something. They're all expressions of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I would suggest that this mysterious consciousness thing is actually this is actually the whole thing to which you're yeah. referring of of which all these things mm. are expressions, and mm. and the point is that consciousness is not an object. So you're not going to identify consciousness the way you would identify a chair or a dog or something like yeah. that. Consciousness is is kind of the knower or the seer, and yeah. it doesn't see itself just as the eyeball doesn't see itself but it, it's that by which everything is seen uh, yeah. so maybe that's where the confusion is that there's there's some expectation of well, where's this consciousness thing that everybody is talking about but you're actually having that experience of, of yeah. the unity of things it's because it doesn't kind of capture the intimacy because it's there's this such massive intimacy with everything and every yeah. situation and everything's just pregnant with this intimacy and the word for me, in my mind, consciousness feels like soup or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, something. It just doesn't. It just doesn't get the feeling. It doesn't have the right connotations for you. Yeah, it doesn't get a sense of it. Yeah, um, and maybe it has an objective kind of connotation that doesn't seem appropriate. But I mean, if there's an intimacy, if I am infinite, infinite, intimate, intimate with someone or with something. There, yeah. there must be some common thread or common bond yeah. or common denominator between us that unites us basically or fundamentally, even though yeah. superficially we appear to be un disunited. Yeah. And so I guess yeah. the question is, what is that common denominator through which everything feels intimate to you? And, I, and this is kind of an unfair question because I don't know if you can verbalize it, but, you know, that's just a something, food for thought. It all seems to be the same movement is the best way to describe it. It all seems to be, it seems like a paradox, but it's not a paradox. Mm -hmm. And I, I experience that more and more, you know, talking to somebody, somehow we're separate, somehow... You're not. We're not, yeah. 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 No, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the way it is. Um... And it's living, it's living deeper and deeper from that and allowing that to go deeper and deeper into the body, which has been really what the last two years has been about, the mm -hmm. going into the heart and then going into the belly, you know, that kind of deeper. Yeah. That's really what it's been about, living it from moment to moment. Really. You probably kind of got that head, heart, belly thing from Ajashanti, he talks in that way. Yeah. And yeah. Um, It's been my experience as well. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Can you, yeah, yeah, can you personalize uh, what is it like to have the awakening in the head and then have it go to the heart and then have it go to the belly? And what's the actual living experience of that? Well, the, the head thing kind of, it, it started in my head for the first few months and the rest of my body kind of tensed up. Tensed up. Kind of stopped the energy. So it was kind of very much a head thing. And then as the kind of unity sense and the intimacy grew, then 
after a few months, a kind of a heart opening started and this sense of love and compassion for everything and a sort of deep reverence for everything started to deepen. Mm. And that's got deeper and deeper over the last two years. And then recently, the last sort of few months, it started to go more into my gut and I started to breathe deeper. And that's been the most difficult things which have come up because the identification is beyond painful now. It's just unbelievably painful. And the energy as well going through me and been a lot of things like that. And it's kind of brought out my core beliefs and the kind of the, the root. I can see the root and I can see the strands going right into my gut and going right down into the bottom of my belly kind of thing. Hmm. So in order for me to better understand what you just said, so I'll just kind of reiterate and ask a question as I go through it. So you're hmm. saying there's awakening in the head, but the body was resisting it as if it was sort of encrusted or something. It just closed down. It wasn't resisting it, I would say. It was just... Just, just not simple, receptive to it or something. It was something. just simply had to shut down for a while. Like it wasn't ready to deal with it. Yeah. And then it somehow, perhaps after some time, relaxed and, and it began to go into the heart and you, you said yeah. greater appreciation for everything. Oh, massive appreciation for even little things. and Like just spontaneous crying and mm. seeing somebody on the street saying hello and, or not even saying hello or something, just crying. That kind of thing. Feeling waves of love. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's very nice. Lots yeah. of ways of love, but I mean, a lot of energetic things because the Kundalini thing started to go, you know, started to go deeper and deeper as well. A lot, lot more energy in my body feeling mm. I had 10 times more energy. Did that actually even translate into being able to do more? You know, I mean, you, you could work harder and stuff because you had so much that kind of energy. I've taken it easy on the whole. I'm not most work oriented person, <laughs> anyway, I guess. Um, but I do feel I always have enough energy. Even when I'm tired, I don't feel drained. When you say you have 10 times more energy in the body, how did that manifest? It's not kind of energy of doing energy. It's not kind of, oh, I feel like I can do. So it's not like you take 20 mile hikes or something. It would be more. Yeah, it's not. It's just this kind of, well, I mean, when it's coming in, it feels like that. It feels mm -hmm. like kind of a battery sort of doing that. But when it settles, it's much more sort of in the background. But it, is it more like a sense of enlivenment in the body? Like your whole body yeah. is just full yeah. of electricity almost? To use yeah. It. Yeah. Like yeah it's I, had a, a, I had a lot of that, yeah. Like that it's takes. alive, like it's waking up where it might be, have been asleep, but now you feel like the whole body is just sort of... Yeah, yeah. yeah. But not, not just my body as well, my energy body, and also everything around me as well. Somehow the world seems more alive as well, or... Somehow there's this recognition or somehow there's this, I don't know, it's just yeah. more alive. There's a line from the Bible someplace, the Incredible String Band put it into one of their songs, but it's a, your eye is single and your, your whole body is full of light. Um, yeah. Remember that phrase? No. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, there's a beautiful song by the Incredible String Band, whom you may not know of. And you should, oh, I did Okay, good, because they were great. <laughs> <laughs> great. I believe they're from Scotland or something. So then when it settled more into the gut, I, I got the impression you were saying that um, there were a lot of attachments associated with that, which then began to be uh, uprooted. Uh, they're starting to be, yeah. Starting to be, just now they're starting to be? They're conscious and they're sort of being brought into the light, but there's this, I don't know, maybe there's this sense that I need to be easy with myself, I think, because mm. this 
new stuff coming from the gut is really, really powerful and can send my body into really sort of bad, bad energetic pain and kind of a lot of energy. So the big thing is I've sort of, one of my friends, I'm sort of talking to her, she's a psychotherapist. So I'm sort of, that's been quite an important development over the last few months. Mm -hmm. But there's just this essential core strand that somehow there's something wrong with me. And that essentially feels like if that was taken away, then I basically wouldn't have a clue who I was without it. So it feels like everything's wrapped around that kind of somehow, even the positive stuff. Huh. Let me understand that better. So you're saying that there's some kind of deep rooted sense of there being something wrong with you. Yeah. And yeah. that that it's, it, not, it's kind of universal and personal at the same time. Isn't it? it's right. I think maybe that's what the waking down people call the core wound. Yeah. And um, Charka Samhita, which is a text of Ayurveda, calls it the uh, Pragyaparat, or mistake of the intellect. But it's, it's said to be the sort of fundamental misalignment or something, I guess you yeah. could say. That's exactly how it feels. Yeah. And what you're saying now is that since this awakening kind of sank into the gut, that's being worked on. Yeah. I didn't realize I was there until a few months ago when mm. I had a massive energetic difficulty and huge waves of shame coming up. Never really experienced much shame, particularly. Interesting. And then that, that whole sort of, and I could just see the whole system. It was a great relief, actually, for it to all come out. And it yeah. just felt, it just, ah. <laughs> I just started to completely understand how I, why I did everything and hmm. do everything, how, why I go about everything in a certain way, mm. why everybody else goes about everything in a certain way. It's just obvious. Interesting. So, I mean, the implication of what you're saying is that, you know, obviously this doesn't apply just to you, but that everybody is carrying around a lot of stuff and awakening can be a kind of a solvent which begins to dissolve that stuff and begins, yeah, and my begins to process it. My sense from the start was everything would come out. Yeah. I, I didn't get the sense that I could get to a point and just sort of, there's just so much energy. I just feel not so much effortful now, but I feel I'm being sort of pushed forward still. Mm. Oh, yeah. Whereas as a forward, I was definitely feeling I was being pushed. I don't think there's any end to it. In fact, speaking of Adyashanti, I was just listening to a nice interview he did with Tammy Simon of Sounds True. She's got this series out about interviewing 34 different people about what waking up means. And Adi was just saying that you know, his, his major awakenings took place 20 years ago, but yeah. it's just still this never-ending process that's going on, yeah. you know, deeper clarity, deeper, deeper appreciation, and so on. My sense is that somehow that carries on, but the relationship to it changes at some point, that somehow I've had sort of glimpses of that, that somehow everything was still there, but it was somehow not divided anymore. So, I don't know, I... I've had that sense from the start that somehow I feel there's this energy that needs to work itself out within my system. Yeah, I don't know. I've always had that sense that somehow that kind of non-division is part of the process. But I don't think the process ends at that point. I think you just your relationship with it changes. I think that's the difference. So it's not like an end point where it's just, yeah... 
somehow the relationship changes with it. I, I don't know, it's quite vague, but in a way I've had that kind of deep sense Yeah, it's from the start. I think that one, one confusion that comes in is that consciousness itself, or the, the absolute, if we want to call it the absolute, doesn't mm. change. And so when people get, a, get kind of grounded in that, there's the sense of, well, this can't be improved upon, you know, this because it doesn't change. Yeah. So yeah. Th there can actually be a sense of, I'm done. You know, what, what, yeah. what more could there be? Because this isn't going to change. Uh, but, the, you know, as Adya Shanti was saying in that interview with Tammy, he was saying this is sort of a, an egotistic hiding out in, in the transcendent and mm -hmm. that there is actually no end of possible transformation in terms of one's um, embodiment of that or living of that and the refining of the instrument, we might say, through which that is lived. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. yeah. It's got to carry on. Everything carries on, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Until it doesn't carry on. Yeah. So yeah. This is just another thing which will carry on, isn't it? Yeah, which is good. It's, it's, it's like, mm. why would you want it to end? It's sometimes difficult, but mostly really good. Yeah. And, and even the difficult stuff is kind of good in a way, kind of somehow very alive and somehow I feel deeply kind of the love and the unity, even though it's ridiculously difficult. I can't, the two things are going on, but it's, there's a real, it's almost comical sometimes. It's mm -hmm. just sense of feeling like I'm being torn apart, but at the same time, there's this real sense of unity. Well, getting born can be difficult, but if you were not to get born, that would be even more difficult after a while. <laughs> I mean, you get kind of cramped in there, you know? So <laughs> you need to go through that yeah. difficult transition. Yeah. My kind of commitment to it somehow has deepened as well over the last few months. I had a point where I kind of completely let go in a much deeper way. So just had so much energy, I just felt, you know, being pulled apart, which I've been felt like that loads of times. I've had different experiences of that but I got to the point where I just sort of a deeper part of me let go it was kind of a, a deeper kind of probably in the gut actually so somehow um, I allowed the energy to go into the gut or something like that and then then the energy started to open out into the deeper into the gut so that's what you mean by your commitment to it that there was a greater allowing yeah yeah Maybe a yeah, gut commitment, if you call it. It wasn't a kind of a conscious commitment. It wasn't a, yeah. oh, I'm going to be more committed to it. It was just this sense of falling in love with life more, falling even deeper in, in, in love, into life kind of sense. So, obviously, what you're going through, we could have an interview two years from now, ten years from now, and you know, yeah. you, you'd probably be saying, yeah, it's still going on, and, and you'd have more yeah. things to say about what's going on, you know, because it would, yeah. it would be continuing to unfold. I think people do reach a point, many people, where they really feel settled, and they feel like yeah. the main fuss and bother and, and cooking has pretty much yeah. subsided. That's my sense, that somehow... That will happen, or has happened. No, I wouldn't say, I say, no, I wouldn't say it's happened. Right. I would say there's been a lot of deep sort of change happened, but I definitely feel myself energetically to be a person still. I mean, I still feel divided in some way in certain situations. Yeah, my sense is that somehow that, that stuff gets worked through more and then somehow it's less of a bother and yeah, you're kind of just happier to live life, I guess. Yeah. 
I feel like that already. I, I, I don't know, really. <laughs> well, know. it's a matter of degree. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know that we ever totally rest on our laurels. I mean, you know, a lot of the great sages and saints of this world have been faced with serious challenges. Um, yeah, me and, too. As well, you know, I mean, Jesus Christ, for instance. Um, and... Uh, you know, so it's not like we kind of just get to kick back and, and... No, I've had some pretty bad health challenges since the awakening. Mm -hmm. The tumor in my leg I had to have removed uh -huh. below my knee, which uh, wasn't fun. So <laughs> I had to go home and live with my parents for six months. And so that was quite interesting as well. And as Ramdas said, if you think you're enlightened, go spend yeah, a week yeah. with your parents. Absolutely. Yeah. Or six months. Yeah, definitely. And it was a really humbling experience, actually. And it really opened up more appreciation and kind of for people in difficulty as well, just that kind of connection of people going through difficult things. So more and more I had this real sense of that, that that's me or that could be me. You know, it's, it's got a real sort of, I read something in the paper and a really sort of real sense of intimacy with what those people are going through, some kind of way not experiencing it but the sense of reaching out the heart reaching out to that situation or something like that yeah i think that's nice there's a lot of people who read the paper and they think oh those crazy muslims or those crazy you know this and that and all those gay people or you know there's just a lot of judgmental stuff and personally i think that spiritual maturity brings with it a, a greater sort of compassion and yeah and um acceptance of whatever anybody's going through you know just to sort yeah. of like there but the but for the grace of god go i you know yeah and that was a situation where i had to really sort of accept more and more and yeah and the situation was fine i got really good health care and had the operation had it removed it was a benign tumor as well so that kind of thing yeah can't jog anymore but that way but. <laughs> ever no, there's, there's hardly any cartilage left. Oh. Uh, maybe you can bicycle. I can bicycle, yeah. yeah. I can as well. In your notes here, you said, I sense it will take a while to get integrated or cook what has happened. In some way, I am left <laughs> mystified by why it happened this way to me. Yeah. It, it has been like I have been pushed through this process, and the pusher is saying, no time now, you can catch up later. And, who's no, <laughs> and who knows where it ends? There's less of that sense now, but that was definitely the sense at the start. It felt like a going, being pushed through a fast track or something. You know, the first few weeks, there was something big happening every day. And there was, as well as all the Kundalini stuff, there were other realizations as well. There was this big realization that everything actually wasn't one, that one was a concept. And that wasn't an intellectual thing. That was a kind of felt sense. And I got to this point where I sensed that it wasn't one, it was undescribable and then suddenly the energy changed and I felt the sort of world shift and you know I had that sense just before my awakening as well mm. the kind of the walls moved kind of thing that I felt the I felt the energy shift or something and then I had that sense then as well that, that I guess it was essentially a kind of deep realization that everything is undescribable and everything is <laughs> it was very palpable but it's very hard to put into words I have a sense, and maybe it's just a philosophical rationalization, but just as we were just talking a few minutes ago about the never-ending quality of evolution, how it just goes on and on and on, I kind of look at it from the big picture in terms of, you know, multiple lifetimes. I, I just feel like our little time, 
if you took your arms and stretched them out wide and let that represent the history of the earth, then one swipe of a nail file on your fingernail would pretty much wipe out all of human history. So, mm. so you know, a human lifespan is a tiny thing. And yet there are all these scriptural references to the fact that we really are eternal. I don't think they're, that those are just referring to the absolute being eternal. It's referring to some our existence as a jiva, as a soul, being mm. eternal and, and continuing to evolve over time. So mm. when, when I meet someone like you, I kind of have a sense that, well, who knows what you've done in, in the past, you know, to ready, <laughs> ready yourself for mm. what you're experiencing now. You could mm. have spent hundred lifetimes in monasteries or whatever, I don't know, but uh, I don't think this stuff just happens accidentally to some people and not to others. It's, mm -hmm. it's sort of just um, appropriate to the level of evolution that you came in with in this life, and it was more or less inevitable that this kind of thing would begin to, to blossom in your experience um, yeah. when it did. Yeah, that's definitely my sense. I almost have this sense that somehow they put the wrong head on wrong body or something like that because yeah i've never been interested or curious at all but yet you didn't have to this, be yeah i didn't have to be yeah there was this ripeness it was ready yeah but I, it, more than anything i think it was the honesty there's always been a sense that I, I couldn't sort of contain myself even in my 20s or teens i had this sense of i don't know i just couldn't put on a show or something i just couldn't sort of batten all the hatches down yeah. And if I tried to do that, everything just would spill out. Kind of forced me to be somehow honest with myself. Well, that sounds really good. I think we could all use more of that. <laughs> well, honesty is, uh, yeah, kind of the routine in a way, I think, you know. Yeah. The more honest you can be with yourself, the more, it's more kind of the, the energy of being honest. It's just, it's more kind of the gesture of being honest with yourself that makes the difference. You don't have to actually do anything. It's just, just, it's just you know, the way you sort of touch upon life somehow. Mm. Just sort of. Well, since you consider this to be such an important point, honesty, let's <laughs> let's dwell on it for a minute and um, yeah. try to get a better sense of what you're talking about. So, can you think of an example where you weren't quite so honest with yourself as you would like mm. to be, and then contrast that with the way you prefer to function? Yeah, I mean, I guess sort of in my early 20s, there was, even though there was this sense of that I couldn't pretend and I had to be in some level honest, there was in some way this sense at the same time that I was putting on this show. The, the two things were sort of happening at the same time. There was something false about the way you were behaving. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But for me, I have to be honest, at that time, it didn't feel like, it didn't feel, oh my God, I'm being dishonest with myself. I never really sort of, not until my sort of 30s, had a kind of visceral problem with honesty. That kind of started to take over in my 30s, I think, my early 30s. Yeah, my, my 20s, I was kind of happy to sort of pretend. I kind of liked it. <laughs> well, how, how would you pretend? I mean, what were you doing? Just sort of putting on a, a kind putting of... Putting on a show. Persona, kind of, you're so, assuming a persona, a persona that wasn't yeah, really you. This, yeah. For me, it was being an artistic person, so it would be uh -huh. a persona, I and mean, it would be a way of defending myself, you know, mm -hmm. and it would be a way of excusing things away and mm -hmm. glossing over certain things in my life and certain experiences, and just a way of hiding from things. Well, you're an artistic person now, you're a musician, we'll be talking about that, so 
how is the way in which you are an artistic person now, and, and presumably an honest one, different from the way in which you were one in your 20s and, you were, and it was some kind of facade for you? I guess it's happened by degrees, that kind of the transition from being a kind of musician where I was believing I had to put on some kind of act because who I was wouldn't cut the mustard. Mm. That kind of transition has happened over the last 13 years. I've been 14 years I've been doing music and playing music and teaching music. Mm -hmm. So the teaching the music has been probably one of the main things where my kind of honesty has mm. been developed and cultivated. Well, I don't know if this is what you're talking about, but I mean, I can think of examples of musician, musicians who were very much into their image or who are very much into their image yeah. and projecting a certain, you know, image, which you probably wouldn't see if you saw them backstage and, mm. and, and others who, you know, they, they come on stage and, and what you see is what you get, you know, maybe like James Taylor or something. He just seems to be, you know, not putting on any airs or, or trying mm. to be anything other than who he is. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Um, not so. I've never been the kind of, I've never been an extroverted person. So mm. what I'm kind of talking about would be probably quite subtle things mm. and just subtle things within interactions. So kind of very low level stuff, not kind of, you know, inventing a sort of stage Present. persona or anything like that. Yeah. And that would just feel uncomfortable. <laughs> it would have always felt uncomfortable as well. I just, mm. it's not my personality. My personality is quite quiet. It depends. I mean, sometimes maybe a little bit more outgoing, but mostly quite quiet. But, you know, that persona was definitely still there, just quietly there. <laughs> when you see other people and interact with other people, do you get a sense of the degree to which they are being honest or not in the way that you're describing? I yeah. Mean, yeah. To varying degrees, like some people seem like really at varying points on the honesty scale. Yeah, it's just, it's really obvious when somebody's honest. Hmm. The, the energy changes, you can just see it. I mean, I don't physically see the energy, but I sense the, the change in the energy of the person, change in the energy within me as well changes. Just something lights up within both people when there's honesty going on. But there's different degrees of that. It's not, you know, people are honest in different ways and people can be not forthcoming in some way in an interaction, but you know, quite open and free in another aspect. You mentioned that you broke up with your relationship before yeah. this awakening happened. Have you gotten into a new one now? Yeah, I've got a boyfriend now. How's that going? Really good. I've been going out for about six months, seven mm -hmm. months. Is he also into spirituality much? or? Yeah. 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 It's very important to him. Yeah. Great. Has he had any sort of awakening himself? I don't know. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I mean, who knows? Yeah. He hasn't talked about anything explicitly, and I wouldn't like to assume with well, anybody. I suppose the more interesting question would be. But he's a very open, genuine, kind, loving person. So. Uh -huh. Yeah. No, I I was going to say I think the more interesting or relevant question would be post-awakening, not that you're yeah. fin finished awakening, there's more to it, but having gone through this transition, what has that done to just your ability to be in a relationship, the quality of the way you interact? The... It's like if people don't know who they are, then how can two people actually have a relationship? You know, they're just, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know who I am, I don't know who I am. And, and it's like the 
two fools will just kind of bash heads. But if, if both people have a sense of who they are, then there it seems to me there can be a foundation for a relationship with one there's another. This, yeah, there's that definite feeling yeah, within the relationship somehow. There's this sense of... Greater smoothness openness. or harmony or resonance yeah. or yeah. affinity yeah. or... Yeah, a resonance, a kind of harmony. We're very similar. So we are very well suited. We do fit well together. I think that's important to bring up because, I mean, everybody's interested in relationships, unless they're a monk or something, but, you know, everybody has them, and they are always, almost always challenging for people. Life is just relationship, really. It is, really. I mean, tons of... Because you're either in relationship with yourself or your relationship with somebody else. You wake up in the morning, you're in relationship with yourself, <laughs> you're in relationship with the room. Uh-huh. In a way, there's nothing but relationship, but within the nothing but relationship, there's also that kind of unity as well that's within that relationship. Well, that, that kind of substantiates the point I was just making, is that if your relationship with yourself is good, then you actually have a chance of a relationship with others being good. But if, if your relationship with yourself isn't, then how can your relationship with others possibly work out? Yeah, the more you, the more you know yourself and the more you understand yourself and the more you're aware of yourself, then the, the easier the more fruitful relationship is. It's not necessarily easy, but you're kind of more aware of what's going on and it just flows easier. I think you also have much more of a buffer. You know, you're much less likely to be reactive. You know, somebody says something and it's not like your ego is so invested that you have to just defend yourself or attack the other person or, you know, you're hurt yeah. and all that stuff. It's more like you can just be an ocean, take it in stride. And, uh, you know. there's a sense, yeah, there's a sense that that wouldn't want to be verbalized, but even if, that, if that's felt, then that's noticed and felt and sort of given it space. Yeah. It's, it's important to feel that kind of stuff deeply, I think. Yeah. That's really the stuff which is unwinding. On, on the one hand, we're talking about honesty. And people, yeah. t people talk about, well, you really should express your feelings and not suppress things and all. But obviously there are situations in which you can just be totally blatantly honest in all circumstances and express things which might be very hurtful and which might cause bad feelings for a period of days. Whereas if you just kind of not suppress, but somehow just hold your tongue and, and just yeah. kind of be more within yourself and on the self or whatever, then you know the whole thing can simmer down and you you know five minutes later you're grateful you didn't say the thing you might have said and the whole thing is finished <laughs> i think it's being in tune with yourself that's the important thing so yeah. when you're in relationship with any when you're talking to somebody or meeting somebody or anything if you have more awareness of what's going on with you then that kind of honesty won't come about because you'll realize it's it's not actually honesty it's mm -hmm. something else it's a reactive thing yeah and you're just reacting along that i mean sometimes that may happen but 90 percent of it is is sort of being aware of it and then the energy doesn't just jump by itself yeah i, I understand what you're saying i think it's really important one way of looking at it is let's just pretend that we're an ocean, you know, and things bubble up from deep in the ocean and ordinarily we don't become aware of them until they pop out on the surface. But if you could sort of be aware of the full range of the ocean, not just the surface level of waves, then you catch things just as they begin to emerge, just as they begin to mm -hmm. bubble from the bottom. And you can kind of like 
deal with them there, so to speak, rather than have them become fully exploding bubbles. Does that make any sense? Yeah, there's a lot of truth in that. Yeah, it feels like there's a lot of truth. Yeah, there's more of this sense if you're seeing the whole process. Yeah, exactly. Very much. I can feel the, you know, I can feel this energetic core contraction. You know, I can feel when that's triggered. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a good phrase. Feeling the Whereas whole process. Whereas before, I didn't sense it would be. It would still be triggered, but there'd be this confusion, I guess. Yeah, it's like where did that come from? Yeah. Now yeah. there's like. It's come from there. <laughs> yeah, because you're aware of the, you're aware of the deeper mechanics of what's going on. Yeah, I can feel it being pinged and being sort of awakened. And... Yeah, well, that's great. You know that phrase of when Christ was being crucified, "Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do." It's like yeah. I think pretty much everybody, but to varying degrees, has all kinds of stuff going on that they're not aware of, and yeah. it only become it only sort of becomes evident in, when it bursts out in some sort of speech or action. But what you're saying, I think, is that there's a, a sensitivity and a, an attunement to the deeper mechanics of what makes you tick. And so yeah. things don't take you by surprise. They don't sort of take you unawares. They, you're, you're kind of able to tune into those mechanics at much subtler levels before they become uh, manifest. Is that correct? Yeah, it's kind of the intimacy. Yeah. So fast as that. Intimacy because... with your own experience. Yeah. So the intimacy with my own experience is in itself a kind of hazard light or something. A what? A hazard light. What are hazard lights? Like warning blinkers? or Yeah, a warning light. Yeah. I see, right. <laughs> it's just all more self-apparent when, when I'm not coming from that place of truth and that place of openness and honesty. And it hurts more and, you know, more, and more deeply. When you're not being honest. When you mean? I'm not. Right. Well, that, I guess maybe that's the way in which you meant hazard light. It's like a kind of like, well, we have like carbon monoxide detectors in our home, you know, and if there's just a few molecules of carbon monoxide, they would go off, whereas I wouldn't notice it. I'd be dead before I noticed it. <laughs> so what you're saying is you're more finely attuned to what's going on, and, and so you can... I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but I'm trying to flesh out this, this thought that we're having. It's almost like your behavior can become aligned in an honest way because you're sensitively attuned to the, the kind of deeper impulses from which it arises, as, as you say, like warning lights. Whereas if you're, if you're oblivious to those deeper mechanics, then, you know what I'm trying to say? I think so, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> In other words, we're more self-referral, to put it in a phrase. We're yeah, it's this more kind of, it's just this reverence for everything, I guess. Beautiful. You don't just don't want to going to Tesco and being at the checkout. It's a kind of reverent act, you know. There's a reverence there. There's a there's this wanting to honor that as well and yeah. be open to every to, to any interaction. So not just people I know, you know, walking down the street. Total strangers, yeah. Total strangers, I'll be open to them. Mm -hmm. The visceral sense of openness, more openness. Seems to be that sensitivity would be a good word to throw in here too. You know, just to kind of a, you know, you feel, you see like a little insect that has these real sensitive antennae and it it just sort of, or like a cat with its whiskers and it just feels every little thing and is is attuned and doesn't go bumbling into something, whereas maybe a puppy dog, you know, just go go crashing in. So we we just become more attuned and, and, tread more lightly through life. Yeah. Yeah, there's that definite sense of, yeah, not wanting to leave big, <laughs> big footprints. Yeah. yeah, bull in a china shop kind of thing. Yeah. Nice. Okay. 
Let's talk about music a bit. You have a website, soundfromsilence.com, which is a real nice mm -hmm. phrase, sound from silence. I and mean, we could go into a whole thing about how sound arises from silence, <laughs> but maybe we will. Uh, but the subtitle being spiritual discovery through music. You know, you haven't been a spiritual teacher in the ordinary sense, but you have been a musician and now you've had this spiritual awakening and you're, you're kind of bringing the two together in order to help, in order to use spiritual awakening to be a better musician or and also to use music to facilitate spiritual discovery right it works both ways yeah i was kind of doing it before i mean i've been practicing kind of the emphasis has changed within my teaching i guess the first five years was about the content and about the kind of is this person understanding it and that kind of thing and it's, it's moved more towards how am i when i'm actually teaching the person i've come to realize and seen again and again that how i am when i teach Mm -hmm. is the most important factor if mm -hmm. i'm open then it gives space for the other person to be open and so they're more they'll tend to learn easier things tend to flow more mm -hmm. whereas if i'm not open then that doesn't happen as much so i've kind of cultivated that over quite quite a lot of years i guess over the last seven or eight years of my teaching but then that's become, it's become more explicit since having this awakening. And I've got, you know, I've had a few students who are having lessons more explicitly for that kind of reason. You know, they're kind of, it's a spirituality and music lesson at the same time. So, yeah, uh, there's this real desire of wanting to be there for people if I can. I really, really feel that very deeply, mm -hmm. very strongly. And yeah, this just kind of feels like the way that I can sort of, offer support for people mm -hmm. because the, the music teaching i've done that a lot i've done it for 13 14 years so yeah. i can kind of do that quite easily quite fluidly so you I play certain instruments right yeah and guitar and what, what do you play i play guitar voice a ukulele a piano violin so if someone came to you who played the trumpet or the drums would you still be able to help them because you're not just teaching, so, yeah. you're not just teaching technique on a particular no. instrument you're talking about a deeper principle yeah really what it's about is giving person space and pointers to start to sink down into their body when they're playing because mm -hmm. the reaction for people almost always when they start playing an instrument is they get the instrument and everything just goes whoosh, straight into their head and there's just everything's in their head and yeah they're looking out, you can see it, in the, they're looking out from their head, almost. Mm -hmm. It creates a really sort of dry loop and it's very unsatisfying. It's getting people, it's giving people the space to allow them to sink deeper and deeper into their body. And then there's more of a trust in what's happening and things flow more. And things like mistakes tend to ruffle them less and that mm -hmm. kind of... So I used to be a drummer when I was a teenager, mm -hmm. I used to play in bands. Um, so how, if I came to you, what sort of things would you do with me to help me be a better drummer? Well, I mean, the, we'd actually learn stuff. I mean, we'd actually learn sort of, if I was teaching guitar, I'd actually teach somebody some songs or whatever mm -hmm. and stuff which they, were, they wanted to learn and stuff which they were inspired by. But more than anything, it's just being with the person and you're just allowing people to you're just giving people the space f for them to allow their body to relax more. 
I mean, it's a simple... Are you talking about a transmission mechanism. kind of thing where just sit, yeah, sitting with you in your presence because you're kind of settled in the self or in the... In, I would in, say in that's way, part yeah. of it, yeah. Oh. But there's also, you know, ways of getting people to... I mean, the big thing is uh, getting people to keep going because the big thing that happens is people get looped into mistakes. So they have a mistake and it brings up within them some kind of real sort of stuff. And then they go into the mistake again and again, and they get drawn into the energy of it. And they, you know, they get they they get stuck on doing D or something on the guitar or G, and they go, "I hate G, I can't do it," you know. And they get drawn into it again and again. And part of my job is to keep them going, mm -hmm. to keep keep so they can see the bigger picture. So they're not constantly getting drawn into that because what's happening is they're getting the energy is going back into their head and they're yeah. So you said on your website that you deal with people with all different levels of expertise and experience. Um, so, you know, what if Paul McCartney were to ring you up and say, hey, Chris, you know, uh, can you do something for me? Would, would you say, would you say, no, you're way, you're way out of my league? Or would you feel like, yeah, let's get together. I could actually perhaps help, help you take it a step further, but, you know, believe it or not. I have no idea, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea if you rang up and said, I think, there's always room for, for more and more honesty within music. There's always more and more room for more, more of the communication, more of the openness. You, you can't sort of have a limit on that. Yeah. You know, that's my experience as well, a deepening, mm -hmm. deepening honesty with the music I create and the music I play, that kind of thing. And you would feel confident, even with somebody like that, that you could help to facilitate a little bit, another shade no of honesty or... I'm just taking him as an extreme example, you know. <laughs> I have no idea what I would do in that instant. I mean, yeah. I'd definitely be curious. Yeah. Um, but I would say most of the people I teach are, just tend to be... The typical people I teach, they just tend to just... They just want to learn music to, to express themselves more. That's kind of why people come to me, really. They want to kind of express themselves more somehow. Okay. They somehow feel that my teaching will help that. Yeah. So I tend to attract I tend to attract students like that anyway. And I just want to expand on that. Whereas in my normal teaching, I can't start sort of talking about openness and presence and unity and you know I, I can't really sort of start talking about those things with most of my students. Some right. of them I can, but so I'd like to develop that more and develop it more sort of uh, more explicitly do you have some students who have been with you for quite a while yeah yeah um, yeah yeah my friend mark he's been with me for hmm, seven years six years wow so using mark as a case in point um have you seen him progress more from head to heart to belly and to, yeah, as, as a musician and how has that manifested in his art he's become more expressive in his voice mm -hmm. and um but he's kind of the way that we're teaching has changed actually because now we're kind of recording his songs as well mm. on my laptop and we're putting them together in a different kind of way he's a buddhist practitioner and he really helped me actually when he's a, he's a good friend he really helped me with kind of awakening thing yeah because he recognized what it was right kind of said to him that this crazy thing's happened to me and he was like oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
this is what's happened to you. So that's been really useful. It's been as useful for me as I hopefully have been useful for him. But he's definitely, there's more expression coming out. And he finds it easier to go into his body. Huh. Can you think of well-known musicians who listeners would be familiar with who uh, would exemplify the different stages that you're talking about? Like, can you think of, can you think of musicians who are, seem to be stuck in their head or who are really kind of heart-oriented or who have progressed to the belly level? Okay, so the heart one, I would say, you have a Bon Iver? You have to take me back to the 60s. <laughs> but, but so, okay, probably people know who that is. I wouldn't, but. Okay, well, in a way, I would say Bob Dylan was both the head and the heart. Or maybe all three, actually. How about Donovan? <laughs> you ever listen to much Donovan? Donovan, I would say. Very mostly guy. head. Really? Huh. Um, Nina Simone would be good. How about um, Mick Jagger? He's kind of more the groin. <laughs> Mostly head, uh -huh. maybe a bit of heart. I say Jimi Hendrix, definitely heart. Yeah, yeah. The band as well, definitely heart. A lot of heart. So when you look at different musicians or different concerts and, and so on, I mean, you must look at them slightly differently than the average person would because you're kind of looking at them in this context of what they're, what they're, where they're coming from, what their orientation is. Yeah, I guess somewhat. I mean, my sense has always been, you know, is this person being honest? That's always yeah. been important to me. Is this person saying something? Is this person communicating something? So here's some other things you say about what you're dealing with students. You know, embodied practice versus head practice. We've kind of talked mm -hmm. about that. Giving open and honest support. The student has space to contain whatever happens. Yeah, because... I mean, when you start sort of going in a deeper way, then stuff definitely comes up. The more open space that you give to that, then the more the person can contain that and they're less likely to sort of jump on it. That's quite important as well. I know that great musicians, obviously there's a lot of training involved, but there's also a lot of spontaneity. And it yeah. um, seems to me that if you're stuck in the head to a great extent, then that would restrict spontaneity, you know, it would pre yeah. prevent you from playing from a level of intuition and feeling. Especially when you're learning, you're actually learning as well. So you are using your cognition to learn as well. Mm -hmm. You know, if you say to somebody, you need to put your fingers here, here and here, then, but the kind of head I'm talking about is the, okay, how are we doing? Is this going well? Am I sounding rubbish? Am I sounding good? That kind of energy. So I guess, yeah, you need to separate the two out, that you've got this, you've got the kind of um, head learning things, learning new technique, which is important. But at the same time, there needs to be this embodiment, there needs to be taking what's being learned and embodying it into the body. More. Hmm. And that's really what good practice is about, is you're, you're taking new, new things. Children, I, I, quite a few of my students are children now. And they're quite good at that, some of them. You can sort of see the more embodiment in them. You give them something to learn, and they kind of take that and they somehow encode it into the body more. And then it's easier for them. It just it flows easier. Yeah. 
No, I know in sports they have a thing called muscle memory, where like a great yeah. a great skier, for instance, who's practiced and practiced and practiced, will it's not in the head at all. It's like the body just is, knows yeah. knows what to do in spontaneously. And you know that can happen to anybody. Somebody's been learning for six months because the first thing they play, they now find very easy to do. So yeah. there's that opportunity for that kind of just complete letting go quite soon. It seems to me that confidence would be a big issue. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, if you're if you have stage fright or something like that, yeah. why? I mean, I've heard of even well-known performers who would have to vomit backstage before their perform performance because they were so you know they they had this chronic stage fright um, mm. but it seems to me that if a person is really grounded in a deeper spiritual reality then that would no longer be an issue mm. i think yeah it depends i mean they might physically get nervous but there'd be a, a kind of wider openness definitely there yeah the confidence thing is is very very important because it comes up so much from people and a big part of teaching is fostering that confidence mm -hmm. you know, bringing that confidence out because a lot of how people do you teach confidence well just being there for that person and not judging what they're doing at all praising them as well so many people come to music and the first thing that they say is i, I was terrible at school with at music you know and, and you know they have this past memory of feeling they weren't very good at music and so that can kind of be something to go into yeah, and this note I'm reading now is relates to that. Yeah, helping students to to get not to get drawn into the energy of mistakes, supporting a wider sense of being when frustration yeah. appears. Yeah, going from like G to D or something. Yeah, and they get frustrated. I've seen that so many times, and it, you see people get drawn into it. You know. So it's important to get people to keep playing. I constantly say to people, keep going, keep going, keep going, because there's this real tendency to. For them to go oh it's not perfect or oh there's a mistake happening here and they get drawn in and it's just not most minds don't want to kind of just keep going so you have to keep pushing people out of that and get them to keep going because that's where the flow is when you keep going then the flow happens and then if you keep stopping and starting for mistakes then you're just constantly reinforcing this oh i've stopped oh there's a mistake Oh, I've started again. You just, but so many people do that when they learn music. Hmm. You have to keep going, even if you don't feel like you can keep going. It's, it's kind of important too. Yeah. In addition to teaching, do you um, perform professionally and record and stuff like that? No, I just, I do record music. Mm -hmm. I record um, electronic music. So I record um, sort of modern classical composed electronic music oh. you have any up on youtube or anything i've got a soundcloud page yeah, you should well send me a link to that i'll put okay, it up on or if you haven't already and i'll put it up on uh okay on your thing people can listen to some i paint as well ah you should send a link to some of that too <laughs> oh yeah you, you have it's mkbrd.co.uk oh right i don't know if that website's still up oh maybe i don't know you sent me that link <laughs> yeah, that was a long time ago uh. So knowing when to give guidance, when to sit back, that was, mm. your, that was your final point. Sounds like you're, more, you're as much a psychologist as you are a music teacher. <laughs> well, I've got, become more and more hands-off with the, with the teaching because I've done it so much and it's so second nature that I don't have to do much when I'm teaching. I don't have to kind of jump in and 
it just tends to be a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit there. So that just gives me a lot of space to be with a person. Sometimes that's just allowing the person to have a period where they're sort of going into doing something. And you just feel, okay, I'm not, not going to interrupt this. What percentage of your teaching is in person there in the UK and what percentage of it is over Skype? Actually, I've only got one Skype student at the moment. Uh, is it very easy to do over Skype? Uh, yeah, yeah, I've had quite a few Skype students. The only thing you can't do is play at the same time. Right. Because of the delay. Right. But that in itself is quite good because it forces the other person to be more reliant on themselves in a way. Mm -hmm. to, whereas, much more less so now, but there would be this tendency maybe in the past where it would be very easy for me to jam along right. and they'd feel better and they'd feel supported. But at the same time, they're not tackling what's coming up as much. So Skype is quite good for that. I mean, you can do call and answer, which is quite good. Okay. It's pretty good as long as the as long as the connections are okay. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be frustrating if You have a good camera and you have a good microphone and everything. Yeah. So uh, obviously you're still a work in progress, like most people. You've been going through a lot in the last few years, and you'll probably continue to go through a lot. But at least you know something good is happening, and uh, you know it's kind of like an interesting ride that you're on now. The change is profound, really. I'm not very good at expressing the depth of... Do you feel like a deep peace? A peace that yeah. passes on, passeth understanding, so to speak? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that, that comes across. It's like I have a feeling like you're, you're kind of very deeply rooted or grounded in a peaceful state. There is that sense, yeah. I've been slightly nervous for this interview because I've never done anything like this before, but at the same time, there was this you know, deep sense of ease and openness yeah that, that has been coming through so a lot of times i interview people who lecture as an you know or teach as a profession yeah. they're, they're they've done hundreds of interviews and stuff and so that naturally you you, you get good at doing that sort of thing and yeah. that's that hasn't been your thing but there there's definitely mm -hmm. been a sense of deep i would say ease is the best word that that's come that's been coming through with you thank you <laughs> <laughs> and yeah that's the yeah, the depth of the, the reverence is, is deep. I'm sure it will only get deeper. It will. And I also feel like, um, you know, just as you weren't really striving for this and, and it just came along, I think I, I see that happening more and more. And it's a nice uh, harbinger of what might um, happen to on a larger scale, you know, to the whole society. Mm -hmm. uh, that There'll just be a sort of a greater harmony and peace and and uh, smoothness among the human race than there has been in recent history as people like yourself become more and more common. Yeah, yeah, my sense is definitely just be honest. You know, if you really do feel you're seeking and you really do want for something to happen, then to be honest with that, that's really important as well. Because I guess you could kind of look at what's happened to me and just kind of use that as a sort of way of being around it and I would say it's really important to just be honest with yourself if you really genuinely do yeah. want to just to really honor that or well, are you saying that someone might look at you and say well he didn't really do much he wasn't really pursuing this and it happened to him so screw it I'm not going to do anything and I'll, Some, something like that not it, yeah so if it happens to me it'll happen to me but yeah but what you're saying is if you if you feel the motivation I mean yeah. to, to get back to our friend Adyashanti he 
he, he said he was like, you know, such an ardent seeker that, you know, he 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 was like kind of fanatic. I mean, he just he had just built up this head of steam through about six years of intense striving, that when he finally did relax a bit and 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 just sort of ease off, it exploded. You know, there, there was this this pressure had built up and and there was this dramatic shift and awakening. Um, but you know, he would encourage people. You know, to I mean, in this interview, he was encouraging people not not to strain the way he had strained, but to be to be honest about your ardency. If you're if you're feeling ardent about this, just you know, give it your all, focus on it, you know, spend time with it, and uh, you know that to which your attention, give your attention, will grow stronger in your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the really important thing because I think if if you're the more honest you are, the more it leads you more to this point, really, where this kind of thing happens, this shift happens. The, the honesty sort of, you know, I was being honest with myself, I didn't care. You know, that's, that's also being honest as well, which, you know, led to, you know, whereas if I'd had sort of mixed feelings about it, then it would have changed the whole dynamic of it, I guess. Yeah. Well, you didn't care in the sense that you weren't, like, looking for some philosophical wisdom or something but you wanted to be happy and i think that's the most basic human desire is yeah. to be happy and uh, and yeah. you know spirituality is sometimes not framed in that context but ultimately that's the the, the fruit of it pretty much yeah <laughs> yeah the the depth of it and the depth of the connection the depth of living your life as deeply as you can and you know the beauty of the just the simple simple simply living a life and how how amazing it is, really. Which, you know, might sound like a simple statement, but it's profound because a lot of people are living their lives in a way that they're not really happy with. You know, they're, no. they're struggling, they're suffering, they're, you know, going through all kinds of tri trials and tribulations. And it may sound simple to just talk about the depth of, of living life in a simple way, but it's kind of rare and it's a blessing. Yeah. It is a blessing. I, I definitely feel very blessed. I still feel mystified, but... <laughs> Why me? <laughs> yeah, but blessed as well. It's great. Well, good. Uh, is there anything else you want to just throw in before we wrap it up? I can't think of anything at the moment. Okay. Well, um, you know, as usual, I'll be linking to you from... Linking to your website from your page on, on back... Oh, I do oh. want to say oh, yes, go the on. website is quite new, so it's not... A, it's not on Google yet, so if you search for it, you have to search soundfromsilence.com. Right. Because it won't come up in the search if you don't put the .com bit. It'll help when I link to it because, yeah. you know, once you get start getting some links from other people's websites, then your website starts coming up in, yeah. Google, in, in Google. So people can go there and they can get in touch with you and, you know, maybe get some music lessons if they want to. and. Yeah. You're writing anything like any kind of like your life story or anything like that? No, <laughs> okay, just it. just the painting, the model making, and the music, and the teaching. Okay, good. Well, thanks, Chris. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, I would really like to say that the the website's been really helpful to me as well. Buddha at the gas pump. Yeah, because when the whole thing happened, I kind of a few months later found the website, and it was just so helpful to hear people had been through similar experiences yeah that's kind of my motivation is to 
give people a resource where they can find other people that have been through similar experiences or who perhaps who have gone a little bit farther than they have from whom they can get some some guidance or some inspiration but I, I've gotten a lot of reports like that from people saying that boy you know I didn't know what was going on and then I found this and I saw these people and it really put me at ease or inspired me or whatever so it's really fun to be able to provide that kind of a service. So I've been speaking with Chris Beckett. This again is an ongoing series. Go to batgap.com to check out all the old ones. There's some things you can do there like sign up for the email newsletter to be notified each time a new one is posted or you can subscribe on YouTube and YouTube will notify you. There are about 15,000 subscribers on YouTube now and uh, there's also an audio podcast of this and almost as many people listen to that as watch the videos because I think a lot of people just don't want to sit in front of their computer for a couple of hours and rather just listen while they're doing other things. So you'll see a, a link on BatGap for signing up for the audio podcast on various devices and platforms. The donate button there as I mentioned in the beginning. Appreciate that. So thank you all for listening or watching. Thank you Chris and uh, next week I will have Stuart Schwartz who's a spiritual teacher in the U.S. down in Florida these days. I've been hearing good things about him over the years and I'm looking forward to having that conversation. Alrighty, bye.